This week on the BOAG World Show, we talk the language of business. We discuss how to speak to business executives in a way that they'll understand and how important it is to have a basic understanding of business principles. This week's show is sponsored by Gather Content and Testing Time. Boag World Show, the podcast about all aspects of user experience design, digital strategy, and cheap, apparently. Uh, everybody everybody <laughs> in the chat room is going on about sheep, and I have no idea why. But anyway, welcome to the show, and hello to Marcus, my lovely co-host. How are you, Marcus? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely fine, lovely Paul. How are you? <laughs> See, it sounds so insincere when we compliment <laughs> each other. We really should stop doing it, shouldn't we? I'm doing good actually. I'm um I, I'm I'm really enjoying work at the moment. I've got a real nice variety of stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. nice when you know you're not doing all the same stuff all the time and you get a bit bored. But I am I'm breaking every rule at the moment, if I'm honest. Because okay. I'm well, I'm doing design and um, prototyping work and that kind of thing at the minute, and. Um, uh, as well as some some work in digital transformation, and in both situations, I'm totally ignoring best practice. Um, so I'm doing prototyping without really doing any proper user research. I was just about to say, um, so no users then. <laughs> yeah, no no user feedback whatsoever. I did do a little bit earlier on in the process, but we we decided. See, this is the trouble, isn't it, with all these best practice articles, and you know, even like when I I blog about stuff and you know i kind of say this is how you should do things it's like it's all well and good in principle but you have to you have to adapt to the situation do you know what i mean and and often t- and so we for all example, know best this- anyway paul you know what's that we know best so it's fine yeah <laughs> and it's like it, it's uh, in this particular case yes of course i should be doing user research but we've just made the call of well let's get the site live um as quickly as possible and then just we'll we'll do the user research on a live site because what they've got at the moment is so crappy that anything we do is going to be an improvement and as long as we know that what we're going live with is not perfect then that's fine because we're, uh, you know, they they're committed to ongoing, evolving, and improving the site after launch. So, so why not? You know, why not just put something live and then evolve it afterwards? That's kind of fine. And the, I, the I only think thing, the only thing, a bit could, dogmatic. The only thing you could say potentially against that is you could do too much. Um, but if you're that's thinking true. MVP, then you might be all right. Yeah, no, that, that's a fair comment. We could we could over-engineer it, but we we obviously haven't. <laughs> We've under-engineered, if anything. Um, so yeah, that, that's that. And then with the digital transformation work I'm doing, it's you know, I'm, I, it's again, it's the same. It's like um, <laughs> Lewis had just called it a walking skeleton. Is what we're going to launch on, which is pretty much, pretty, yeah, not far off of it. <laughs> And then digital transformation, yeah, we're, we're just, we're kind of doing it all about, about house about face because it kind of makes sense in that particular situation. And, you know, that's the way, that's the way it should be, really. It should be, you know, the rules and then you know when to break the rules, I say. 
that's my policy anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, more importantly, no, that's not fair. That's not an unfair comment, is it? What do they say? One of the fir- first things that they t- tell you when you go to art college is before you could do all the, the you know, the cubist stuff. Yeah, exactly. You need know you need to know how to do it properly. Do you know what I mean? And it's exactly the same uh, situation. Um, I, I, I've just got to play devil's advocate slightly. Oh, <laughs> go <laughs> because, on then. Because I think that... Because well, what, what you're saying, I, I thoroughly agree with. Because, you know, situation, budget, all of these things can determine how much work you can put into a project. Uh, yeah. And it might be that the budget is so small at the start, say, that if you did any user research, you wouldn't have anything, any budget left to build. So anything. Yeah. So you've kind of like, well, okay, in that situation, you must build something first. That that makes sense. But I, I, I think, I think, we, so therefore we do, we all do that all the time. I think we all mm. kind of go, right, okay, we should be doing that, but you know, not enough budget, blah, blah, blah. But I think maybe we're also a little bit guilty of using it as an excuse for not doing things. Yeah, no, that is true. Um, because you know, user research in particular, it takes a lot of time more than anything else. Mm. Uh, organization, it's like hey, we know what to do. Boom, let's just do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I, you I are just... you are right. That that is entirely true. And there, if I'm honest, there is a degree that that is happening. Mm. Um, so we we've done we've done user testing on. Um, the homepage because we were particularly concerned about what, what this company does is not necessarily the most straightforward of things. And we wanted to make sure people understood quickly what it is that they do. Mm. Um, what we haven't done is full blown usability testing. Um, and that our logic is we're going to get stuff up there. Then we're going to, you know, see how people are using it and interacting with it. Is that degree, a degree of excuse? Yes. Mm. <laughs> if I'm honest, you know, there is a degree of, you know, they just want to get something live. Um, and they've been waiting for so long to, to deal with this. Um, and uh, with, with other clients, I'd probably push back harder with these people, I'm not because when they initially came to me, the primary reason they came to me was they loved this idea of making this the last redesign, right? Mm. They want to be evolving the website over time. And they're already talking to me about, well, as soon as we get this live, we want you to be looking at this, 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 and this. And, and, and then, you know, and, and, and also, uh, uh, can you proactively start suggesting stuff that could be done? And so, so being so confident that they're not going to just go, oh, well, we're live now. Let's, you know, wipe our hands of it and move on mm. because they're definitely not in that. I'm, I'm more inclined to kind of let them get away with it, if that makes sense. One more point, And this is more, this is a positive point um andy budd wrote an article probably i don't know three or four years ago um basically saying that he was seeing a lot of his clients um how did he put it that they they've got sticky note fatigue um 
and basically they were just kind of going through their this is our process we do this and then we do that and then we do that and then we do that and then they're, they're going but we've done all this before and or we've done some of it before can't we just go you know and yeah his conclusion was just build something and test it because yeah. chances are you're going to get more um valuable input out of that uh, yeah and that's exactly uh, that's the realization i think i've come to two or three years later than andy bud mm-hmm. um no that's not entirely true it's been going around in my head for a while it's that we become fixated on this is the way i, I received an email only this morning actually where where someone wrote to me and said um what are the steps in digital transformation i need to know what the steps are I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't have steps, you know, it's this toolkit of stuff that you can draw upon and use as you want to and as is appropriate for the individual client. So this Mm. idea that there's some magic process that you've got to go through, I think is a bit misleading. Yeah. Um, So yeah, anyway. Cool. Uh, uh, Marcus, sorry. Uh, I need to ask something much more important. How are your new grandchildren? They're lovely. Thank you very much. They're very cute little beans. Are boys or girls? Both. One of each. Both? One yeah. of each? Yeah. So I How know. very convenient. Well, oh, we, knew, we knew that was going to be the case anyway. They've known, oh, right, known for okay. months, months, months. But yeah, I now They've have, I have two granddaughters well. and two grandsons. Cool, oh, huh? which is very, very nice. Please tell me that they're done now with four children that's got to be enough isn't it i i like to think so uh i like to think Ooh. that my son-in-law will sneak himself off to the clinic um because <laughs> abigail is the earth mother uh, oh is she she oh, would just carry on forever would she yeah potentially <laughs> wow i don't know about that we'll see but yeah that's probably it good yeah. Well, I mean, it's fair enough. I mean, if whatever makes them happy. But, exactly. You, know, you just think, my word. Anyway, Marcus, what's your thought for the day? Right. This is a bit of a continuation from last week. Um, mm-hmm. If you remember, um, Paul was talking Previously about... Previously on Boag yeah, World. And it's the kind of... It's the last thing we were talking about, and I'm c- continuing it. Um, you, you were talking about your experience when you got into trouble uh, a while back mm. about some comments you'd made on Twitter about positive discrimination. You took mm. the, uh, surely we should just pick the best qualified people, no matter what, uh, line, yeah. and you were then flamed from all quarters. Mm. Um, I was reminded after the show that I started to write a post about that, but I stopped doing it because it wasn't, it wasn't the only place I ever post posts is on the headscape site and it was just a mm. kind of an opinion piece so i stopped doing it and that's not, it, it reminded me that i'd written this or kind of half written it so i thought i'd go over that it might be a little bit mm. longer than usual so we've had a long introduction now you've got a long thought for the day so you're gonna have to race well, through all the rest matter, of the content um so on i mean on this particular issue uh, i agree with the the flamers i know i I think probably you do now. Um, I think if you're white and male, then you've got a head start over people who are non-white and non-male. Um, saying that we want to make meritocracy isn't the same as there actually being one. But that's by the by. But the whole episode highlighted to me, um, and we talked about this last week, that basically discourse, people communicating with each other, is being killed online. Um, mm. and, you know, many people have complained about this before me, uh, particularly relating to Twitter. Um but it's stopping kind of level-headed discussion. Um, mm. 
And I, I, I guess if maybe more people care about that and more voices are willing to join the argument, and I'm cert- this is certainly a case of um, do what I say and not what I do because I walked away a long time ago, um, but more people joining the argument, then maybe things might just change. Hmm. Uh, so, again, not new news, but I'm also convinced that the lack of discourse between liberals and traditionalists led to both Brexit and Trump. Um, Mm -hmm. kind of it'll never happen if you remember was the ongoing cry um, from all the supposedly enlightened people uh, without ever even bothering to talk or let let alone listen to people with with different views there was this kind of just Mm. just an assumption that it's bloody obvious right and then everyone woke up the next morning going what so anyway i thought i'd try and come up with a couple of examples uh, of uh, kind of slightly contentious things that where if we have a reasoned debate, then we might all be better off for it mm-hmm. uh, rather than fleeing to the moral high ground and throwing rocks at the less enlightened. So uh, I came up with driving slash cars and veganism, which was quite enlightened <laughs> of me a few years ago uh, when I wrote this. So cars first. Now I'm 52 years old and as we've just been discussing, a grandfather of four. But I still drive an overpowered and expensive German car, um, and I love it most of the time. Uh, Driving in the south of England can be rather busy, and there are far too many people in far too small an area, all trying to get from A to B. Public transport is great for getting into London, but not a lot else, so we all drive. And I can't stand slow drivers. I can't stand drivers who hog the middle or the fast lane on the motorway. And I can often be heard trying to persuade them to move over using quite colourful language. (laughs) I can even be heard saying things, you know, making the case that slow drivers cause traffic jams. And and they probably do, but I haven't got a leg to stand on. I'm the less enlightened one in this debate, if you like. Um, Driving's got to be about safety first. And there are, you know, there are millions of these these vehicles with pilots who are being distracted. They're long or short-sighted. They're slow to react. They're inexperienced. Whatever. Notice my studious avoidance of the word old. Um, (laughs) How can I I possibly expect everyone to drive well, in air quotes, whatever that means? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's an impossible ask and it's never going to happen. I really should just buy a slow electric car like yours Paul, uh, and damn well grow up. Uh, but I'm not going to just well, yet. You say that, but I suspect my car can now accelerate yours because it, of the it, nature it, of electric it, cars. It probably can, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Mine's a big, anyway, mine's yes, a big diesel, I know what you mean. gas guzzling, you know, I need to grow up for machine. Anyway. Yeah. So, and, and though the point... The, the point is that through this discussion, which I'm granted in this case I'm having with myself, I can learn to be more patient and accepting. Uh, yes. And I guess I am now since I've written this because I, I, I've also been to naughty boy school since where I where the, this was very much the uh, which for those people who don't know what that is in in the UK uh, if you get caught for speeding by one of the speed cameras you can either pay a fine uh, and get points or you can go and and have like half a day's um, speed awareness training I think it's called and it was actually mm-hmm. great good good session. Um, but I'm not as far along as I could or maybe should be. Uh, but I am making an effort, I think. And that making an effort aspect of it brings me nicely on to veganism. Now, I've got a friend who's a vegan. And I haven't known him for all that long. Excuse me. Um, so it's quite a new thing to me. 
but remember I wrote this a few few years back uh, and thinking about it and it's so therefore thinking about it and its implications are quite new to me and I think vegans are in a tough place they have to be kind of fundamentalists to get the attention of let's call them dumb people uh, but conversely non-dumb people can't bear fundamentalism of any sort uh, so they end up being in this kind of lose-lose place where they're being trolled by one group and the other one they're being ignored by saying well you're just kind of you're being fundamentalist and making these kind of claims that aren't true um, and I believe but what I think the kind of middle ground is as I think that most vegans not all but would love to see basically people eating less meat and farmers treating animals more humanely uh, of course there's this kind of nirvana where animal farming excuse me or the consumption of animal products no longer exists but we all know we're a way that's a, that's a long way into the future uh, and we can only get there kind of along a gently declining slope it's never it's never going to be falling off a cliff um so i suggest and i'm this is just me my opinion um that stop being a fundamentalist because you're never going to persuade people that are you know effectively throwing rocks back at you and basically try and listen to people that agree with large parts of your or large parts of the argument and i'm one of those people mm. um so i guess what i'm saying again is let's just talk about it sensibly and that's the thrust of all of this um and i, I guess ve vegans should listen to the fact that that people like me aren't ready to give up meat completely but they are willing to buy more expensive better reared meat and eat less of it and just doing that would change the kind of meat with every meal ethos and it kind of already has for me over the last two or three years um and it should lead, probably would lead to later generations abandoning meat further and eventually giving it up completely. So that's, that's, I think these are the kind of things that we can talk about and maybe come up with more sensible ways of dealing with them. Uh, but back to your kind of brush with the flamers, the thing that started all this off. Loads and loads of people think that job positions conference speaking slots members of parliament etc should be selected entirely on their ability to do the job that is not a hugely radical viewpoint it's not backward or you know super con super conservative I, I i don't in this case i don't think it's right but you know pick on the right things um if someone is genuinely kind of offensive then fine yeah, jump all over it but otherwise let's try and have a rational argument about things that's it. I, I think part of the problem, if I'm honest, <clears throat> isn't anything to do with people because people haven't radically changed. You know, this there's, there's this idea that we've all become more um, extremist, um, and yeah, we kind of have. But I think a big part of it is the the context hmm. um, that we're having these conversations in because we're having these conversations um in um with people that we don't have a connection to or a relationship with mm. that kind of that that completely changes it because you don't understand enough about the other person's position you only understand the words that are being written down in front of you and also there's the context for the 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 tool that you're using so in this case twitter um like for example uh, for years, right, I've been involved in building online communities. Really, ever since I started getting involved in the web, I've, I've been building online communities. And before the birth of things like Facebook and Twitter, it would have never occurred to me in a million years to launch 
a community with no discernible rules, nobody overseeing that or setting parameters as what is acceptable or not, and nobody enforcing those kinds of parameters. Mm. And I think that, you know, you, you get the community that you build as a community owner. Um, so, for example, you know, um, I think it was um, Lyle that was saying in the chat room only a, um, a couple of days ago what a great place he finds the, the uh, Slack community in, um, you know, our Slack community. And I think that is because that is the Slack community I have intentionally built. There is intention behind it rather than it simply being, you know, here's the tool world. Have at it. Yeah. You know, and, and my comments are based on the fact that that is the way it is. So deal with it, people. Yeah. Right. You know, you yeah. can't, we, we can't change these tools. There's a bazillion people on, on Facebook and Twitter, etc. But if we, you know, it, it maybe you know, it's, it's this idea of, you know, does it really make any difference if I turn the light off when I go out of the room? Well, yeah, it does. Um, and the, the yeah. same could, I mean, I, could apply. I, to social media i it, my and my feeling is you know that essentially i've largely abandoned these tools mm. um i've abandoned facebook i've abandoned twitter and i you know and i am gravitating towards tool communities because i still love that about the internet that you have mm. these communities but communities are actively managed and that doesn't mean i'm only joining communities that i agree with right where i agree with all the people in it i'm sure a lot of people in our slack channel would disagree with me and, and they quite regularly tell me so as well um in, in various forms mm. but it's um it, it's having some kind of policing some kind of management over it that i think is necessary um but anyway that is you know it is what it is anyway none of that is anything to do with today's topic so well done us for talking for over 20 minutes without care we've got so much better at this avoiding this kind of uh, um, off the topic stuff but it's actually it's all interesting stuff and it? it's all relevant what we're talking about is we're continuing our season on um uh, essential skills that we all need as digital professionals and for week week after week i've come up with well i included this in the list but mm -hmm. i'm not quite sure it should be here um, this one, I am 100% confident should be here um, until someone tells me that I'm wrong in, in an informed and reasoned debate, Marcus, I'm sure. No, 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 um, no, no. Yes. Yeah. So, so today's topic is that we as a community, as digital professionals, we need to learn the language of business and speak the language that our, um, that our colleagues speak in other teams and have a good understanding of of business strategy and what actually underpins businesses there are so many good reasons for doing this right ultimately every project that we work on and that we engage with every digital project that we engage with has a context right and that context is broader organizational strategy and goals what why you know why are people building websites it always comes down to an underlying business goal hmm. um so you know to be honest if we don't understand the business if we can't speak the language of the business if we can't um th you know uh, talk in terms of business strategy then we are going to ultimately create inferior products it's as simple as that. 
Um, also, being able to speak the language of business, talk um, about business strategy is crucial if you want to communicate with colleagues in a way that resonates with them, right? Um, you know, I've, I've mentioned before Jared Spool's um, brilliant article about how I can't convince executives of anything and neither can you. And the fundamental underlying principle of that article is there's no point about talking about user experience. There's no talk about no point of talking about user needs. There's no talk, point of talking about agile or lean or any of these things. We need to be talking the language that our, our um, stakeholders are talking and the, and the way that they are approaching things. Um, and that's particularly important, you know, when, as you talk to people individually. If you're talking to the finance director, you talk about finance. You know, if you're talking to the CEO, you talk about business strategy. If you're talking about the, to the market, head of marketing, you talk about marketing benefits. You know, you've got to tailor your messages. So we need to be able to talk that language. If we want to attract bigger projects, and not all of us want to do this, but if you do, if you want to work on larger projects and more complex projects, you're going to need to understand the, the, the business language and the business strategy that underpins those projects. You're not going to be hired to redesign a multinational um, user experience unless you can talk the language of business. So it's really important for your progressing your own career effectively or for winning larger work. And then, of course, if you are independent and you are running your own business, you certainly need to be able to talk about business because you've got to run your own. Um, and then uh, also, of course, related to that, and this isn't necessarily of interest to everybody, but if you want to work on those larger projects um, and you want to start doing having um bringing more value to your customers and maybe having a wider and bigger influence then talking the language of business and talking in terms of business allows you to start charging consultative rates and position yourself as a consultant, which gives you a much bigger, bigger risk, uh, uh, reach in what you're doing. So yeah, business strategy, absolutely need to know about it. And we're going to dive into um, what you need to know and um, some useful resources to get you started in just a minute. But I do want to talk about our, our sponsor first. First sponsor of the day is Testing Time, um, which uh, just is such a good service. Uh, just, you know, going back to what we were talking about right at the beginning about how I, you know, I've skipped over a lot of the usability testing that I should have done. Um, and one of the reasons you always used to kind of skip over usability testing was because of um, recruitment. It's just such a bitch getting hold of people. Mm -hmm. um, and I, actually, I was talking to one of my mentors only earlier this morning. I was talking, he's actually started avoiding doing straight design work and he's focusing on A, B testing and multivariant testing and, and conversion rate optimization because he can't stand that endless debate with clients about whether something is right or wrong and going in the right direction. And I was saying, well, I don't have any of that. And he said, well, how do you get around it? And I was saying, well, I just do a lot of testing, you know, and, and provide evidence all the time. And he was saying, yeah, but recruiting people's a pain in the neck. 
No, it's not. Not anymore. It used to be. Mm. But now there's these services like testing time that's absolutely brilliant. So if you need to recruit um, people for usability testing, for focus groups, for interviews, for surveys, heck, if you want to, um, you know, uh, get do some testing around whether an idea is even worth doing, going back to business strategy, then they're a really great tool. They'll, they'll, they'll help you recruit people both for um, online testing, remote testing, but also on-site and offline testing as well. If you want to do that, they're, they're the people that you want to go to. Over 350,000 test subjects they've got as a pool for you to draw on, which is obviously amazing. So you can be really fussy about the kind of people you want. And the order process is really straightforward and very simple. Um, and, and it calculates for you the, the, the cost and the time it's going to take them to, to get your test participants in real time. So you can kind of move around the slider, sliders, if you like, say how many people you want and the type of test you're doing and the kind of criteria and people that you've got. Um, and it, it'll calculate all the, you know, how much it's going to cost you. So you can go, oh, well, perhaps I don't need to be quite so fussy about the people if I want to bring the price down or whatever, you know? Mm. So you're in complete control. They they normally deliver people for you within 48 hours. It's really, really quick. Um, and there's this brilliant customer support team that they've got as well, which kind of helps you through the process if you've not done it before um, or you you just prefer dealing with humans rather than sliders. I'm much more of a slider person, if I'm honest, but there you go. Um, so if you want to find out more, go to testingtime.com forward slash Boag World. I cannot recommend them enough. Okay, let's talk about business strategy and the things that you need to know. Hang on. One of the... Oh, go on. <laughs> I was just saying that... What, just as an extension of what you were saying about we need to use the right language with people yeah remember i did the thought for the day a few weeks ago about when we get people like finance directors sat down in, in a room and they start giving us feedback about kind of web usability and stuff and it's all yes. wrong and hugely out of date that's another reason we mustn't talk to them with our mm. language because they only get 10 percent understanding from it so because at yeah. the time i had no way of dealing with it but yeah, here's there's one that's one way. Yeah, yeah. Yes. absolutely. You, you definitely right. do need to switch the conversation back into yeah. the, the kind of language you talk about, which is why I often talk about, you know, in, when those kinds of conversations come up, I always switch back to talking about, well, what are your business drivers and what's your, you know, your KPIs and that, those kinds of things. But this is something I, I, I want to start off with a particular, making a particular statement to put this all in context, because I was a, uh, a lady that I was working with recently who worked for a, a really large multinational company, right? Um, and she, she'd been doing really well in a, in a career progression within this organization. And then she'd kind of hit a roadblock, right? Where she was really having trouble um, convincing more senior stakeholders to take what she was doing seriously. And, and she said to me, I don't know. I don't know the words to say. I don't know the language, right? Mm. And I, I know what she was driving at, and I know what she was saying. But actually, it's not about using the right terminology, right? It's not, a, or at least not entirely. I'm not saying that doesn't help to be able to, you know, throw around words like KPIs, you know. But 
it's not really about the terminology and don't get too hung up about whether you know exactly the right term because half of the jargon they throw around um is not everybody else in the room will know that anyway right because a lot of jargon is company specific um and or or sector specific and you're never you're not going to undermine yourself by saying what what do you mean by that you know what's sorry could you know what's and this is always a really good one right if you don't want to look an idiot go can i can, can i just clarify what you mean by dot 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 right because because not everybody agrees now, you might have not a clue what it was that they were talking about but if you word it like that then you don't look like an idiot anyway it's not necessarily about that kind of stuff what i'm driving at what i think we need to get better at is looking at the bigger picture right always look at the context of the projects or whatever you're involved in right and when you start to look at the bigger picture of what surrounds your product uh, your project um then you'll start to naturally start to talk about the same kind of things that your your managers and and your colleagues are talking about right mm-hmm. so it's and, and if i could sum it up in in one thing of what's drawn me into this world of business strategy it was the attitude of not accepting anything without first understanding it right so let me give you an example of what i mean you know when people turn around and they say things like, oh, we can't do that because of dot, 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 right? Mm-hmm. My response to that is always, well, why not? Why can't we do it with, you know, because of that? I don't understand it. So a great example is, oh, compliance won't let us do that, right? Well, why not? It's always asking that question, why not? Like, uh, think of it like, pulling on a thread okay so so let's say um yeah cats just described it in the in the chat room as the the five whys which is uh, i i like to call the the toddler technique why why can't i do that and keep asking why um but yeah let me give you an example of what i mean so somebody comes along and says, well, we can't, you know, you can, we can't do your design because uh, we've got some legacy technology that prevents us from doing it. Right. OK, great. Fine. Well, why can't we replace that piece of technology? All right. That would be my response to that. Well, because it would be too expensive. So how do we know that? What, why is it too expensive? And what are we judging the fact that it's too expensive? right well because the finance director says so well what's that director basing that judgment on and you know what what you know has he because we haven't given him any any um figures about potential you know um, money that could be generated from this site so how do you know if it's a it's a um an investment worth making uh, and it's not being afraid to ask those questions and not just accept that because somebody else has said that something's in place, then, it, you know, you can't do it. And it's not that the finance director might be entirely right, but you've got a right to understand, right? Mm. Um, and to question. And it, it, once you've got it in your head that it's okay to start questioning these things, 
then you start learning about these areas, right? And you uh, um, and you'll discover that sometimes there are good reasons why you can't do what you want to do, right? Or going back to my example this morning, uh, the, the big this morning, we've been podcasting for that long. Um, at the beginning of this episode where I said, um, you know, that I'm not doing a load of testing and we're just pushing something live. Well, that's because... I asked all of those questions and I pushed and now I understand their business drivers and I understand what's going on internally, right? Tangent, Paul. So it's Paul. absolutely fine. Sorry? I'm just, I was just reminded that once upon a time we did a really long podcast. Was it a 12-hour or 24-hour podcast? I can't remember. It was a 12-hour. Yeah, I can't imagine we would have I gone think... for a 24-hour podcast, but we did a 12-hour. No, we had, we had different guests on every hour for 12 hours. That's right. I think that was, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good one. We ought to do that again one day. That'd be fun. Sorry. Um, it was for like the 200th episode or something like that. I think it was, yes. And we we yeah. must be at 500 by now. So. Oh, easily, <laughs> yeah. I've stopped counting. So... Um, so what I guess I'm saying is you start with your immediate job, right? And then follow the threads. So you don't need to suddenly discover how to do business talk, right? Um, that's not going to get you there. It's more about following the threads. So, um, you know, you don't need to know everything. You just need to know about the areas that impact what you're doing as they come up, Right. So you're going to encounter areas like marketing, for example, is a really obvious one. Okay, so you'll need to understand a bit about business marketing. Um, Customer service often comes up as something that touches the edge of what you're doing. So that's something else that you're going. Those are two that we're probably all fairly familiar with and we've already talked about on this season. Right. But then there'll be finance constraints that come up. Right. So a great example of that is one of the big reasons why websites go through these periodic redesigns every few years, which we know is a really bad thing, is often because uh, the web the website is seen as a capital expense by the finance department. It's an expense that occurs every few years. And so it doesn't have an ongoing budget associated with it. It's not an operational expense like, say, marketing is or whatever else. Mm-hmm. So one of the aims of what you want to do is start working with finance to help them understand and shift it from being a, a capital expense to an operational expense. And you only find that out if you start asking questions. Well, why are we only designing it once through? Why does the money run out when the project's over, right? Unless you ask the dumb questions, you're never going to know. Compliance is another area that often comes up with bigger organizations. Strategy. Is another area that, again, your website sits within um, a strategic framework. Another great one is, why do so many websites fail when they launch? Because they're not looked after. Because all that the people looking after them doesn't, don't have a, a good idea of, of, of how to run it. So hang on a minute. That means that training is another important area. And governance, right? of how these things are run. And then, of course, a lot of people don't have the web written into their jobs properly, so their jobs need to change to, to, to use the website. And if their jobs need to change, then we need, we need to start paying attention to change management and how jobs go about changing, right? Um, and then, of course, there's risk, right? Lots of the time you're told you can't do this or that because, oh, you know, what if a site gets hacked or what if this happens? Well, how do organizations judge the associated risks of stuff 
right? Mm. And so it goes on and on, service design, KPIs, all these kinds of things. So it, it's all about kind of pursuing those threads um, and seeing where they take you. And that's really all I wanted to say in terms of um, what you need to know, or more precisely how you need to approach it, I guess, is never take no for an answer. Always keep pulling on those threads and see where it takes you. It's, it's, it's a fascinating. It becomes almost like a game, right? <laughs> Um, a game of whack-a-mole you know one problem comes up and so you pursue that until you understand that problem and you get out of the way and another one pops up somewhere else and you follow that through you know it's never accepting that thing of oh that's not my job or it's not my responsibility you know (laughs) paul says whack a client um i think there's there's one there's one other um aspect to this where it's really um useful necessary uh, to have a, a wider understanding of the different kind of aspects of a business that you're working with is when you're doing user uh, user journey mapping because it's so mm. easy to kind of like just get all the nice webby digital people in the room and ask them about stuff that they don't really know about and you've just you've got yeah. to ensure that you've got input from across the business to do that process and that involves speaking their language to get them in the room in the first place Mm. and that's an that's another it's another reason as well to well yeah you say you've got to speak their language to get them in a room in the first place to the extent that you've got to explain why this is an exercise worth doing and why why it's worth their time Mm. but it's also a really good opportunity to learn their language as well Mm -hmm. because they'll come in and they'll start you know talking about i don't know who was um I, I was working with a client um, a couple of days ago who was talking about um, HCPs, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> I had no idea. What do but you mean by it, that, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> they said it with so much utter confidence that you think, I'm supposed to know this. And it wasn't. It was healthcare professional. So there's no way I would have known that. Right. Um, you know, but... Uh, and of course sometimes you google it yeah i'm always googling on the phone to to find out but sometimes it'll come back with something totally different because it's not a related field and you go how the hell does that relate (laughs) (laughs) so so you got to ask these questions nobody cares nobody thinks oh what an idiot do you know what they think they think what he's confident that he can admit he doesn't know so absolutely start doing that um, cool. Yeah, so so you're right. Customer journey mapping is a really great way, a great opportunity to start asking those dumb questions and start engaging in that kind of stuff. Of course, stakeholder interviews, um, mm. uh, you know, another great example where you can start getting to this kind of thing. I have even been known to do a bit of um, uh, like shadowing where I'll go and sit with someone while they're just doing their normal job and I'll get on with something else because you don't, you know, I want someone literally watching you all the time. But if they're like on a call um, and they get off the call, I'll then say, so you talked about on that call. Tell me about that. I don't understand that. Right. Or the other one that I will do is, um, uh, or I don't do it because I work at an agency. The thing that I recommend for, for people that work in house is go and sit with people from other departments sometimes you know spend a bit of time around them because then you begin to soak in their world and stuff anyway there you go we'll get into some useful resources but i just want to talk about our second sponsor which is gather content who have been supporting the show for a really long time 
Um, and it's really great that they keep coming back, which is lovely of them. And so they should, because um, I seem to spend a lot of my time in their app as well. So it's only fair they return the favour, I think. Um, oh, so is it, bringing uh, them loads of business. That's what it'll be. Is, <laughs> do you reckon that's what I don't think it is? <laughs> I, I, nah. But I was, um, I was using Gather Content actually this, this last week. Um, uh, and it's a great app. It's, it's, it's not... Um, too over-engineered you know how sometimes people add more and more features to an app and it becomes more and more complicated and you Mm. you end up not being able to use it and it's like it just hits that sweet spot it's so good anyway um so it's great for like content creation right so you're redesigning your website you need to extract content from a client they send it through to you in a Word document and all the formatting screwed up and they've, they, oh yeah, I put the, I put the images in the Word document. No, no, that's not going to be, I can't get them out of a Word document in a quality that I need. And, and then they go, and then you get, oh, and, and uh, this, this bit of content's in a PDF and, oh, I emailed you that piece of content two weeks ago. No, please. So get them to put it all into gather content, right? It's a great tool that you can just dump stuff in. And it'll even, you can even export stuff straight out into your content management system as well. So it's really great for gathering content creation and gathering your content. Um, is, is also good for, um, uh, helping you work in a more efficient way. And, um, so there's cost efficiencies involved with it. Um, and it's got, so it keeps your projects on track, which is really good. And then also it's, um, great for, um, managing your workflows to facilitate, you know, writing. So if you've got to have sign off by various people, you can do all of that kind of stuff. So it's a content operations platform really that let you do anything you need to do around content, but at scale, you know, so it's really good for big sites as well. Um, uh, so it will help you manage your people, your processes and your content in effective ways. Um, so yeah, check it out. You can find out more at gathercontent.com. All right. Yes. So that's that. Let's talk about some resources to get you started. I have become a business book junkie. <laughs> um, I, I read all of the, I read loads of them. I'm just going to pick, try and pick out a few because otherwise, you know, this is going to be painful. And I've written a few posts on it as well, which will, if you can't be bothered to write, read an entire book, <laughs> which might be slightly overkill. Um, so the first book that I would, re- would really recommend is Strategy and the Fat Smoker. Um, which I think is a book I've mentioned before, isn't it, Marcus? Rings a does bell. that ring a bell? It does ring a bell, yeah. but I can't remember what it's, it's got, about. It's just got an amazing title. I like it because of the title. It basically, the premise of the book is everybody knows what good strategy is, right? Yeah. We all know, you know, what you should do, um, but we're just shit at doing it. And it <laughs> explores how to actually do stuff. So it's like being a fat smoker. You know you should lose weight. You know you should stop smoking. You don't need anyone to tell you that. You don't need to hire a consultant to tell you that. You need to, to yeah. find out how to do it, how to make those things actually happen. So that's a really good book. It's a very enjoyable read as well. <clears throat> so I recommend that. Another book that's more totally opposite, really. <laughs> so... Strategy in the um, Fat Smoker is one of those books you you read from beginning to end and is very engaging and draws you in and all of that kind of stuff. The next book is, this is um, Service Design Doing. 
And it's a book about service design, which might be a term that you haven't come across before, um, which is basically about operations, uh, organizational operations. And service design doing is like a collection of tools and methodologies that you can pick and choose from. So it's one of those books that you kind of dip in and out of. Mm-hmm. So it's worth getting it in print format for that, that reason. Um, what is remarkable about service design is that service design and user experience design are really similar. There is a lot of overlap on there and you'll read a lot of the book and go, hang on a minute, that's customer journey mapping is a great example of that. Mm. That's in the book, right? right? Well, hang on. No, you can't have that. Yeah. It's a user experience design thing, not a service design thing. The the two are so over into um, so interlinked. So it's a really good kind of gateway drug into the world of business because it's you know kind of coming from our perspective anyway. Yeah. So this is service design doing is a great book. If you can't be bothered to read a whole book and just want a bit of an introduction, I've written an article called Service Design. What is it? What does it involve? And should you care? Um, so that's an article you might want to check out. If you just, um, you know, Google Boag World and Service Design, you'll get it back. Another book that's quite interesting, because again, it's it's coming at things from a digital perspective still. We're not kind of completely kissing goodbye to our core skill set <laughs> and learning something completely off the wall. Um, it's a book called Managing Chaos, Digital Governance by Design. So this is about all of the the kind of systems and processes you need to put in place to support your digital service that you're creating. So it's a a really good book to begin to start thinking about some of the organizational issues that underpin a successful website. So I check that one out. Um, I've written another article that might be quite interesting if you're interested in looking at the idea of change management and, and how to get people in organizations to to address new ways of working. Um, I've written an article called How to Solve the Four Factors Stopping Digital Change Management. Um, So again, just Google digital change management, Paul Boag, and you'll get that back. Um, Another article that I've written that, that might be interesting is Motivating Management and Colleagues to Embrace Change, which is a very similar related article. And then I've written another article, which is more about strategy generally, right? And it's called, So You Want to Write a Digital Strategy, obviously within the context of digital, as you can tell from the, um, the title. So those are all um, uh, articles that kind of get you, slowly introduce you to more of this business world. And the final thing, if you want some kind of ongoing source that maybe looks at your world of digital in a more, with a more business focus i highly recommend the e-consultancy blog right so unlike things like smashing Mac- magazine and and those kinds of uh posts that are, uh, uh, publications that are looking at more of the doing e-consultancy looks more at the the business drivers behind all this and you'll begin to learn the lexicon and the language and that kind of stuff so actually we've pulled the podcast back marcus we're mm. at 51 minutes Oh, that's good, good isn't it <laughs> well done us yeah <laughs> well done oh either that or i've just not covered the topic properly at all no, you just raced through it paul blah 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 blah, blah. i said nothing blah, 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 that blah. was fine yeah. <laughs> yeah get it out of the way move on nice no, uh, this is one of those topics where really you can't 
you can't kind of just say use these this words and learn this stuff and you're all sorted because it's such a big amorphous area it is it goes back to that pulling on the threads following following the trail Mm. wherever it may lead you and being interested in everything really everything that comes up relating to your projects and not going that's not my job i don't care about that so you go true marcus do you have a joke for us i do this one's from lyle is lyle in the room today i don't know if he is i don't think he is today okay what do you call a pig with three eyes what do you call a pig with three eyes a pig <laughs> blame lyle <laughs> you chose to use it i think you it's chose great. to use it i think that's great <laughs> Uh, and then the chat room has started off they've gone from pigs pigs to sheep again pigs and sheep brilliant I've no idea what this whole sheep fetish is about anyway okay that's it for this week I'm sorry for the disappointing end to the show it's it's sad (laughs) but you know it's Marcus's Marcus's cognitive skills are going down as he ages let's blame it on that Okay. Um, next week we're going to be talking about collaboration and how to collaborate, uh, collaborate, which will be an interesting one because I'm well known for being an excellent team player. Absolutely, who, who yeah. Always listens carefully to other people, never talks over the top of them. You know, all of those good things. So until then, thanks for listening. Oh,